Welcome to the Grandland Basketball Hour. I'm Bill Simmons. He's Jalen Rose. Jalen's bat will be joining us later. So will Zach Lowe and Jason Whitlock. The Hawks. My God. They can't be stopped. Taking care of business. Well, we're going to talk about them in a little bit. We wanted to talk about NBA fans wouldn't be shocked to see the Spurs in the finals or the Warriors or Chicago or even LeBron, CP3 or Durant. And yet there are five other contenders asking, why not us? So who's first? <laughs> The Washington Wizards want to know, why not us? Go Jalen. No reason why. They play in the Eastern Conference. They have some of the most versatile bigs in the NBA up front with Seraphim and Humphreys coming off the bench. Their starters, Nene and Gortat, are physical. They can score. Multiple fouls to give. John Wall is Multiple playing at Multiple fouls to give. Absolutely. That means something in the playoffs. And John Wall is playing at an MVP level. Bradley Bill, one of the top... Young players and shooters, and Paul Pierce, championship experience, calming influence. Did you see his quote about every team that misses me or whatever he said <laughs> after? He's got the right kind of arrogance. He's like the irrational confidence veteran guy. I've been really impressed by John Wall. And it's like we always talk about point guards, and this is my biggest frustration with Kyrie Irving about, you know, let everyone else get theirs for the first 42 minutes, then take over for the last six. John Wall has figured that out. His stats, it's not like his stats are that much better. But he's figured out how to shift gears. He couldn't shift gears last year. But also for Kyrie, he doesn't have a player in the backcourt to run with like a Bradley Bill. So they actually need him to score more. And also for Kyrie, LeBron is the primary ball handler. Right. They've kept the ball in John Wall's hands through injury, being a number one pick. The team was struggling. And I do agree with you, him being able to change gears. It's been opened up by the fact that he can make jump shots now. One of the best mid-range shooters at his position. Will Randy Whitman rear his ugly head at any point in the playoffs? I don't think so. He's done a terrific job building this basketball team. They're confident. They feel like it's their turn. All right. And I'm worried about Nene's health. My buddy House says Nene is the guy to watch. If Nene stays on the court, they got a chance. Who's next? The Raptors have a question. Why not us? Go Ooh. Bill. Man, I, it's, I'm having trouble coming up with reasons for the Raptors. They're only 13-12 and 12 in their last 25 games. They started out 13-2. and two. Is the new car smell starting to come off on this team a little bit? Consistency up front. When you look at the Raptors box score, go to one name, Valanchunas. If mm. he's giving you a double-double and a few blocks, then they have a chance. But if not so, then I don't think they have a chance. Well, and they also, they started, they had the familiarity, they started hot, but I still feel like they have a trade to make. And, and there were three teams that I thought needed Jeff Green, Memphis, Portland, and Toronto. Terrence Ross has been not playing well for Toronto at all. They, they just have a hole. They have expiring contracts. I thought they were going to make a move. Memphis gets Jeff Green. Portland has Batum in a swoon. Terrence Rune, Ross is in a swoon. And it, it, unless Toronto takes, makes a trade, I can't take them seriously. The backcourt is terrific. Kyle Lowry will be an all-star. DeMar yes. Rosen has come back from injury. But again, who's their third scorer? Who's right. going to be that guy that can get you 15 points in a quarter come playoff time? They're still looking to develop. Hopefully Terrence Ross becomes that player. I love what Lou Williams has given them off the bench. He's been player of the week so far once this year. They don't want to see Cleveland in round one. I don't like their chances as bad as Cleveland's played. Who's next? Hey, it's the Grizzlies. Quick question. Why not us? Go oh. Jalen. Well, why not the Grizzlies? To keep me off Bill Street. <laughs> in all seriousness, I love adding Jeff Green. You me brought too. him up earlier, had over 20 in his first game coming in, dribble handoffs, going baseline, dunking over the top. Mike Conley's underrated. We know about ground and pound. Zebo and Mark Gasol has continued to improve his game. The Memphis Grizzlies are a legitimate contender now. 
I picked them to. I've changed my West pick three times. I like to keep changing. Oh, them you change? I'm eventually really? right. Well, then I can go back and say I told you. <laughs> but uh, before they made the Jeff Green trade, I said I thought they had the best chance. And if they got Jeff Green, now I thought they were winning the West. And the, 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 first of all, they're bringing old school '80s basketball back, which is great. A little ground and pound, but the difference between Tayshawn Prince who is probably going to get picked up by the Clippers, but just, he's done. He, he's got a fork in him. Let's, God bless him, but let's be honest, he's done. Jeff Green comes in now. He was the number one option in Boston. He's the number five option on this team. It's a dramatic impact. I like their bench. I think their coach has done a nice job. To me, that's the team to beat in the West. And in a league that has become homogenous, they're a team that plays, as you mentioned, old-school basketball. They throw it inside. Both of their bigs play facing, but they prefer right. to play with their backs to the basket. But Marc Gasol on that left elbow, that's been the difference in their offense, taking the ball out of Conley's hands, doing dribble handoffs, and Conley's a better shooter now. They have the toughness and a core group of players that have been through a lot of battles right. together that they're not going to be scared of any team. I like continuity, too. I think it matters. And it's, it's a team game. Say, but it kind of helps to like the guy and be familiar with the guy. Well, the thing, like, talk about it. Mike Conley's played his whole career with Gasol and Zebo, and you got you know you're in triple overtime. Everybody's tired. Like that matters. That you you're familiar with what everybody's doing. I really like the Grizzlies. And also, you everybody stays in their lane. You're not going to see Tony Allen taking too many off balance, out yeah. of character shots. He knows he's out there to be crazy glue, as I affectionately like to call him. Right. And your boy Vince Carter. Sergeant Lamar. The sergeant might get a ring. Who's next? <laughs> the Blazers want to know, why not us? Go Ooh. Bill. Why aren't I more excited about the Blazers? Well, let me see. Um, Lopez has been hurt. Batum has been, it, this is beyond a swoon. This is somebody that was one of the better assets in the league and has just gone off a cliff. I don't love their bench, but yet Lillard, Aldridge having another career year. We thought last year was a career year. Um... And Wesley Matthews, playing for a new contract, who's been great. They have three great guys. I don't know about everyone else. All of the top teams, especially in the West, have depth. The Portland Trailblazers, the last two years in the NBA, have the worst scoring coming in off their bench. They're getting some good minutes from Miles Leonard. I remember calling his last college game, and I didn't think he was ready for the league. So I was surprised that they took him as high as they did. Mm. Now they need him to play those minutes. I'm still not sure, by the way. But he's not going to be able to consistently hold it down in the playoffs, in particular inside the paint. Does it bother you that the Splash Brothers are Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry and Portland's Damon Lillard and Wesley Matthews have actually made more three-pointers combined than those guys yet don't have a nickname? What's up with that? Well, the Splash Brothers is a terrific nickname, and it's hard to duplicate. But for Wes Matthews and for Damian Lillard, I like to call him Video Game Dame. So we're going to give them a nickname together if they re-sign, and okay. they're going to be playing together long term. Okay. Do you miss this era where everybody just chucks <laughs> up threes? You were born 10 years too soon. You would have loved this. Or Absolutely. maybe 15 years too soon. Who's next? Last one, the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, my God. Why not us? Go, Jalen. Peace up. A-Town down. The Atlanta Hawks have come out of nowhere. For those that don't follow basketball intimately on the NBA level, they deserve to have three all-stars. Jeff Teague, Horford, and Millsap. Oh, I'd put Korver on there. I think they have four all-stars. Kyle Korver has a chance to be the first player in NBA history to be 50 from the field, 50 from three, and 90 from the line. I, see, I think T he's got to be in the all-star team. The spacing that he does for them. Here's what I love about the Hawks. I saw them in person a couple weeks with the Clippers. 
I always talk about the table test, like people who bring stuff to the table, pe people that take stuff off the table, right? So Westbrook's like a guy, 90% of the stuff he brings to the table is awesome, and he'll take off 10% with the shot selection. I've never seen a team like the Hawks where everybody brings stuff to the table, but nobody takes anything off. It's a team that knows what, everybody knows who he is, what he's supposed to do. Nobody, did, nobody takes terrible shots. Nobody does dumb stuff. It's just a smart team. That's when you buy into the we concept over me. No player playing over 33 minutes. Yep. No player in the tops in scoring and individual statistics. Yet when you look at assists, second in the league. You look at defense, they're competitive. They, they're versatile. Able to switch a lot of pick and rolls. They're able to get out on a fast break. And Teague is a blur, and he's doing a good job of getting everybody open shots. Well, they've won 27 of their last 29. That is a real number. Let's look, look at the teams that have won 27 of their last 29. These are all iconic teams or memorable teams. Like that Heat team, that was the streak. The Celtics, that was the year after they won the title. They would have won that title if KG doesn't go down. Those other three teams, incredibly fun to watch. I know everybody's like waiting for the Hawks to cool off. They're not cooling off. It's not happening. And that 2006 Sun and 7 Suns teams, I got a chance to see that team play up close and personal, sitting on the oh, sideline yeah. for an entire You're year. You're eating a couple hot dogs. Absolutely. So for the Atlanta Hawks, who would have thought at this point of the season, right now Vegas would have them ranked as the number one team odds-wise to win the championship. And who would have thought, like Danny Ferry, who put this thing all together, he's not even allowed near the team. Is he still on paid administrative leave? Something's going Keep on, but checks, I mean, he'd be the executive of the year if he hadn't gotten in a little trouble. <laughs> Coming up, Zach Lowe will be here, but first, our, our resident Hawks fan <laughs> at Grantland is the one and only Rembert Brown. We sent him to Atlanta for a game. Here's what happened. My name is Rembert Brown, and I am from Atlanta, born and raised in the greatest city on earth. If greatness is measured by the amount of Waffle Houses per square foot. Our sports history has been checkered at best. But this year, everything is different, and the Hawks are in first place. We in first place. We in first place. It's beautiful. In the past, I've been a fan, a doubter, a cynic, a dissenter. But I am back on the bandwagon, baby. And I've got a ton of reasons why you should be, too. Reason number one. The CEO of the Hawks comes up and talks to every single fan. Southern hospitality, of course we do. My man. We're sold out today. There's standing room up in the rafters. We've engaged the community. We, we, we've connected with them, and we want to keep building on that. We're just starting. How Tinder Night go? Tinder Night was great, and there's actually some real dates that are happening from it. Reason number seven. I've been here for six great days, and Cal Glover still hasn't missed a three. If he misses it, I'll play my job. Still got a job. Reason number 15 to be a Hawks fan. I don't know if you know who Sir Foster is, but he is the Hawks organist. A song can be out for four hours, and by game time, he will know how to play it on the organ. Reason number 25. The dudes don't even sit down anymore. That's the passion of the new Atlanta Hawks. This is a gigantic reason to jump on the bandwagon. We have Harry James Brown. Our timeouts are more interesting than Knicks games. But you know the real reason to join the Hawks bandwagon? We are winning. We're about 31 right now. 31 points. Up until this year, people left Hawks games because we're losing. Now people are leaving Hawks games early because we're winning. Atlanta Hawks suffering from success. So come on, America. Join me. 
Harry James Brown, this dude with the Kyle Corver jersey, and these friendly guys. Join the Atlanta Hawks, America's team. The no-look pass is mostly a con. A guy looks at his target, throws his pass, and only then makes a big show of turning his head the other way. Want to see a no-look pass that actually serves a purpose? Watch John Wall, fast becoming one of the NBA's smartest assist men. Did you catch that? Wall knows this pick and roll forces Jason Smith to leave his man and crash down on Marcin Gortat. Wall tricks Smith into thinking the job is done by staring hard at Smith's guy, the now open Chris Humphreys. Smith takes the bait and lurches back at Humphreys. Bam! An easy dunk for the Polish hammer. Wall is a master at this precise pass. Watch him freeze Lou Wall Deng with the same trick. Manu Ginobili has been suckering dudes with this exact dish for years. We call Manu crafty, but chalk up Wall's assist numbers to his ridiculous speed and athleticism. That has to change. Wall is a hoops intellectual. He's operating one step ahead of defenses. He knows how they'll respond to every dribble, and he manipulates them to create the best possible shots for teammates. The corner three is his game of choice. It helps to be 6'4 and blazing fast. Wall can see all the way across the court and deliver 50-foot bullets off the dribble with one hand. But you don't toss passes like that without being an NBA genius. Why does old man Paul Pierce have so much time? Look carefully, and you'll see Wall releases the ball so early that Pierce's defender, some LeBron guy, is still on his way into the paint to help on Kevin Serafin's role. Not even LeBron can reverse his momentum in time. Help defenders always seem to be leaning the wrong way when Wall whips the ball to the opposite corner. And if they're not, Wall will coax them into the paint by putting his head down for a little hesitation dribble that makes it look like he's driving to score. Goodbye, Jimmy Butler. Wall's deadly in transition. He dribbles faster than most players can sprint, sucks in every defender, and kicks the ball to open trailers. But his wit shines through, even on the break. He spies Pierce out of the corner of his eye before even crossing midcourt, but delays the pass until Indiana's defenders converge on Gortat, running to the rim. Wall is a brainy player, an all-star crafting high NBA art every night in D.C. Well, we're done talking about the team saying, why not us, including the why not us Wizards. That was Zach Lowe's piece, by the way. We're going to shift gears and discuss the Cavs and Thunder, two teams that are asking, what happened to us? <laughs> Thank God Grant and Zach Lowe is here to answer them. Fresh Hello. off your, your successful piece that just lit it up on the Internet. Which team is more panicked right now, the Cavs or the Thunder? Uh, it, it sounds weird to say because the Thunder just won two really nice games in a row. Yeah. They're outscoring. They're killing opponents when Westbrook and Durant are on the floor together, which they haven't had a lot. But they play in the West. It has to be them. They're in ninth place. They're not even in the playoffs. Cleveland could replace Kevin Love with Mike Love from the Beach Boys and still make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Oklahoma City might not even make it. I think they will, but they'll have to win every series on the road. They might have to face Golden State, which is a juggernaut in the first round. And they have Kevin Durant's free agency looming in two years with the Wizards sitting there with all the cap space. has to be Oklahoma City. And James Harden's possible MVP trophy. Ooh. That's another one. How many wins in the West does it take? 48, 49, 50? Yeah, like 48, 49. Ooh. And that's tough sledding. And you mentioned James Harden, not to bring up old stuff. No, please, let's do. But that's really what's coming back to bite OKC. Think about it. You just broke down the Washington Wizards. They've had eight players score 20-plus points or lead their team in scoring this year, the Wizards. The last three seasons, OKC has only had eight players do it total. So replacing the third option has been the key. And also, Serge Ibaka has started to drift. 
He's only taking 32% of his shots in the paint. They need him to mix it up a little bit more. He did that here recently against Golden State without Bogut. That's what they need to see out of him more consistent. And both teams have a weird, you know I'm the, the body language doctor. You know I study this stuff. <laughs> both teams I watch and I just wonder what's going on. And there's been some stuff on the internet. There was even some guy sat behind the uh, Cleveland bench and took clips of their timeouts and, and LeBron was tying his shoes during one. But the body language is way off. Which coach should be more panicked right now about not being a coach soon? I, I think they both need to be, frankly. But if you're talking about in-season changes, I think it has to be David Blatt. David Griffin, the team's GM, came out and backed him and said Blatt's the coach. But, you know, that matters. But I'm not sure if it matters if LeBron goes to his old letter-writing buddy, Dan Gilbert, and, oh, says, no. and says, hey, this guy isn't the guy. We need to get rid of him. I'm not sure it matters anymore. And look, Blatt's had some issues. He doesn't use Kevin Love correctly. The team can't play any defense. I'm not sure if that's on him, if that's on the roster construction, if that's on LeBron running the team the way that he wants. Scotty Brooks has a lot of issues, too. A lot of questions we've been asking for years and years, but I, I think he's more likely than Blatt to survive this season. I bet both will, but both need to be worried. Scotty Brooks has led his team to the NBA Finals. The answer to this question is David Blatt. I don't think they're going to fire him during the season, but I do think he's going to be a one-and-done. But you brought up about not using Kevin Love correctly. Here's the true basketball oh, issue. Oh, boy, here we go. LeBron James and Kevin Love, at this point of their careers, actually play the same position. It's true. LeBron James has become, as you call him, a power guard. So in Miami, you can finish the games playing four because Chris Bosh can flip to five, make threes, and defend the five. Kevin Love can't defend the five. They're one of the worst teams in the league in defending in, in front of well, the rim. Well, you can defend the five. You just give up 120 points a game. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's basically become a choice who you have in late. And if you notice the last couple of games, one, Kevin Love was out with a back injury. But in Phoenix... He was over there watching because LeBron James was playing power Well, that's forward. all he does anyway. He's a, he's a glorified Mike Miller. He spots up in the corner on 90% of their possessions. He doesn't touch the ball at the elbow anymore. He doesn't pass. He's like James Jones or Mike Miller. They're not using him right. Well, and, and for a lot of people, they you know, not everyone's watching Minnesota on league pass when they're 20 and 50 like we are. But I, don't, I thought they've used him wrong and corrected the whole year. I think he's a spectacular offensive player, but he needs the ball. He has a certain spot on the court. Goldsberry did a great shot chart about him last year. He likes the left top of the key. And they have him shoved in the corner. Like Again, like he's Mike Miller. He's not that player. I think he's checked out a little. I, I, both of these teams, I just get frustrated watching. You know, I watch a team like the Hawks. We were talking about the Hawks. You're, you're oh, ready to move to Atlanta. The Hawks. I'm in. I'm just in. Just the way they play is just beautiful. And then you watch Cleveland. It's one-on-one, -on -one, four guys standing. You watch OKC, one-on-one, -on -one, four, four guys standing. You said OKC is the worst crunch time offense in the league? Number three. How is that not the coach? Well, look, we've been saying this for years, right? I mean, he plays the wrong, wrong lineups. He plays too many guys who can't play. That's less of an issue this year. They have no creativity in the playbook, and, and they're dead last in scoring efficiency and crunch time, no matter how you slice the numbers, which just it shouldn't be. Yeah. When you have MVP caliber players on your roster, LeBron James and Kevin Durant, the other 14 guys, and Russell Westbrook is an exception, Kyrie and Love are all-stars, are built where they're weak. And what has happened with both of those teams, initially they had physical presence, they had toughness, and they had guys to do dirty work. Now they're just skilled teams. When you watch the Cavs play, they got all guys that want to shoot the basketball. You add J.R. Smith to a team. 
You know you're desperate to get Iman Shumpert to play perimeter defense. The same for OKC. You add Deion Waiters to bring you offense, but also it gives you flexibility if a move happens with Reggie Jackson or Perkins. Well, I'm seeing a little bit of panic with OKC. The Deion Waiters trade, which I really liked. I thought that was a smart trade. But at the same time, a little bit of a panic trade. Like, they're basically saying, we don't believe in Reggie Jackson anymore. We're pointing at this guy a little bit. Now, last week, word surfaces, they're looking at Brooke Lopez. They're trying to steal him. They're trying to steal him for an expiring and Jeremy Lamb who doesn't play. But still, for the first time, it feels like Presti is starting to feel the heat. You got Durant in 2016. You got Harden as the favorite for the 2015 MVP. You're a nine seed right now. And this team doesn't usually panic. No, I think they moved on from the Harden thing emotionally. I don't think that affects it. But look, they need to win now. They need to, first, they need to make the playoffs, but they need to win the title. And they've been saying for years, when the time is right, we're going to move our chips in. They moved one first round the pick. The time in. is right. No, the time's right right now. <laughs> yeah. They moved one pick in for Waiters. And look, Waiters may shoot you out of games, he may murder your chemistry, but he's an NBA body and NBA talent. They're a deeper bench team with him and Reggie Jackson, who, by the way, is gone. Reggie Jackson's not going to be on this team next year. And uh, they have a real starting center now in Steven Adams and not Kendrick Perkins, the walking illegal screen. Uh, <laughs> they, they still have a high ceiling. But, yeah, it's time. It's time to move them in. Both of those teams late in games, Kevin Durant is playing for, LeBron James is playing for, which means guys one, two, and three are standing around the perimeter shooting jump shots. They've lost their identity and their toughness. That's what they have to get back to. What team, what would it be more of a disaster if Cleveland didn't make the month of May, which is basically like you're out in round one, or if OKC didn't make the month of May? What team is reeling from that more? What team is built to win right now the most? I mean, they, they both are, but to me, a, a disaster season was on the map for Oklahoma City the minute that Westbrook got hurt and yeah. joined Durant on the injured list. This missing the playoffs was in play. For Cleveland to be 500. With, with decent health, not great health, with LeBron missing a lot of games and Love, and they were like 1-7 without LeBron or something, and Love's back acting up. But for them to be 500 in the East and for Love to be struggling for any kind of fit, it just didn't seem likely, even though we knew. We knew they had no room protection, that Kevin Love doesn't play defense, that Verja would get hurt. It still seems un- improbable. To but anytime OKC lost Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, so it wouldn't be as surprising in a tough Western Conference that you just mentioned. You need 48-49 wins to make the playoffs. The Cleveland Cavaliers don't make the Eastern Conference Finals because the other teams have gotten better. We talked about Atlanta. We talked about Washington. We talked about Toronto. We haven't mentioned the Chicago Bulls. The top of the West has, the top of the East has gotten better, and the Cavs going to have to get together. See, I think it's much worse for OKC. Because if Cleveland doesn't make it, or like whatever, they, get, they lose in round one or round two, the, the, the narrative will be, yeah, we, we, we made too many moves. The coach didn't work out. They got rid of the coach. Ah, we, we just, it was too much flux. OKC, they don't do anything this year. Now you have Durant's a free agent in a year. You don't really have any major moves left to make. You know, they had the experience. Like, really, what, what's your major move? You're going to have the same team next year. You're going to change your coach. That's it. I think that would be terrible. If they, if they miss the playoffs, oh, my God. Uh, I think they still have one major move in them. We saw them sniff around Lopez last week. But, look, I still think they have the higher ceiling of these two teams. I, mean, I agree. Cleveland, all the flux issues you mentioned, it just doesn't feel like I don't think Cleveland can it. win. I don't think they can win three straight rounds. It I just, just don't. It, but how about this? When the playoffs start, you play against OKC, you can argue on most nights that they have the two best players on the floor. That's what you don't want if you're so the you So you've got to give them a shot. 
They're the other team. Both of them are candidates, by the way, to just get killed in the playoff series and for just a chemistry disaster, all that stuff. Well, Oklahoma City, look, I, I, they're going to have a hard time winning the title from the eighth or seventh spot if they even get there. But we've seen what this team is when they're healthy. They might have a ring by now had Westbrook and then Ibaka not gotten hurt. I think they're a deeper team than they were the last couple of years. To me, they're the team. They still have a higher ceiling than Cleveland. Cleveland, it feels like they're going to be figuring out a lot of the stuff. And by the way, Kevin Love talked a lot of talk about improving his defense in the offseason. Yeah, where is it? Hasn't done it. You know who else talked a lot of talk about that? James Harden. And James Harden took steps to rectify the problem. We haven't seen that from Kevin Love yet. Zach Lowe. Good job. Hello. Um, I'm rooting for both of those teams, <laughs> by the way. I, I'm, I'm a rarity. I like good basketball. I hope OKC figures it out. But want, I'm a little I dubious. had a couple of Zach fans say they don't like when I say get low. So you I know like what it. I'm going to do? Fine. Get low. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Jalen's keeping it 100 for us. But first, our Subway fresh face, Rudy Gobert, a.k.a. Yeah. the Stifle Tower. My favorite nickname of the year. Lob it up. Down. She goes. Now this is jazz basketball. Lob it up and in. Oh, baby. It's early. Play of the year for Utah. Deja Lowe's voice to do that. Keep it 100. That was incredible. We got to hear a British lady say, keep it at 100. <laughs> this is Jalen's segment. You've been keeping it 100 this whole show, but now you get to really keep it 100. First up, don't get fired. Larry Sanders. Absolutely. We'll take this to Milwaukee. And that's right. Larry Sanders. Weed is a recreational drug. But you're a professional oh, no. basketball player. You're not a musician. You're not an actor. Again, you're a professional basketball player. You will consistently be drug tested if you don't know this by now. And you have 44 million reasons to get it right. Take care of it, big fella. Handle that. Come on, Larry Sanders. You should be starting for a contending team. Keeping it 100 next, Russell Westbrook. Russ, you guys seem to really take control of the game with that 15-2 run in the second quarter. Why did that maybe change the game? Um, execution. I did a good job of executing. You and Serge seem to be in a really great rhythm. Uh, what allowed you guys to be so <laughs> successful? Mm, did a good job of execution. What did you see from them defensively that allowed you to focus as much as you did on passing the rock? Uh, we did a good job of executing. Now, are you upset with something? Should be upset. I just don't like you. You don't? No. Do you not like Nick either? I love Nick. But I don't like you. Well, you gave us about the same answers. Yeah. You got another question? You played a great game, one of your better ones. Is this one, in terms of production, assists, rebounds, points, is this one of the better games you can think of in your in your career? Good execution. <laughs> Russell Westbrook. Furious Styles. I have zero problem with the way Russell conducted his recent interview. He is contractually obligated to be accessible to the media, but not obligated to be engaging or interesting. I like the fact that he kept it 100, the ski mask way. <laughs> the ski mask way? Yeah, you saw what he had on his head. He wore I, that to the game. I felt intimidated just watching it on a very small monitor. Keep it 100. <laughs> uh, next up, Doc Rivers, father of the year. Go see the doctor. I know you said you acquired Austin strictly for basketball reasons, yep. but let's keep it 100. The only reason why he's a member of the Clippers is because 
You're the GM. That you're the head coach, and he is your child. You may have solved an issue at home, but you probably created one in your locker room. Good luck with that. You put a big spotlight on somebody who might not be an NBA rotation player, and he's your son. Next up. But he can give him a max deal. That's always good. $120 million. Next up, Joel Embiid. We're going to take it to Philly. And I wrote a letter to this gentleman. Dear Joel, <laughs> injured rookies on tanking teams only should be seen, not heard. We don't care to hear anything about you arguing with a team trainer, being overweight, or trolling on Twitter with Rihanna and LeBron James, etc. I got two words for you, young fella. Greg Olden. Oh, no. Don't be next. Yeah. And that's keeping it 100. Yeah. Love Greg Oden, but not the role model you want there. Last up, Kobe. Kobe Bryant. Kobe B. Bryant, one of the top 10 players in NBA history. So let's just keep it 100. You're not going to retire at the end of this year. Stop it right now. You get as many shots as you want. You're not required to practice. You can pick and choose the games you suit up for. Oh, and by the way, they're willing to pay you $25 million for legacy alone. Here's what you're going to do, Bean. You're going to keep getting them checks. I agree. <laughs> I don't think he walks away from that money. Um, here's my question, though. And people are going to take this with 19 grains of salt because I'm a Celtic fan. But I actually care about basketball more than I care about the Celtics. I don't like seeing great players play a year too long or two years too long. I think it's one thing when it's like Kevin Garnett on Brooklyn. Like, he was a great player. He's not an all-time top ten ever. Kobe is. Like, does he have a responsibility to walk away now? He has a responsibility to his accountant. Somebody going to pay you $20 million okay. to play basketball? What time is practice, coach? Here's the other thing. He doesn't have to go to another team. So when you see Hakeem Olajuwon playing with the Rockets, no, or Patrick Tor Ewing, Toronto. I mean, with, with the yeah, uh, Raptors, or Patrick Ewing in Seattle. And Orlando. Or Shaq with the Cavs, then with your Boston Celtics. Sad times. And then another thing is when you get older, you have to wear another number. Yep. So if you wore one number in high school and then in college, and later in your career you're wearing a different number, that's when it's time to wrap it up. If they're going to let you play for the same team, why not do it? The only two great, great, great players who walked away on time? Bill Russell, our man Larry Bird, two Celtics. Isaiah Thomas as well. You ruined my point. I was excited <laughs> talk about the two Celtics. But our dude, the legend, almost was a 50-40-90 guy his last year playing with a 35-pound back brace. But I, I wish he would hang it up just because I don't want to see him morph into the, I, I could score 30, but I need 30 shots to score 30. It's time. He has a lot of interest. He can do a lot of stuff, I think. But when you play for the same team your entire Hall of Fame career, like yeah. Tim Duncan, you're able to reinvent yourself within that roster. He's lowered his minutes. He's sharing the ball more with the Spurs. But Kobe didn't change his role and didn't limit his shots. So, therefore, you get to see the diminishing effects from a season like this. Yeah, I would not call it reinvention. Uh, Jason Whitlock is coming up, but first, we didn't mention James Harden really today. He's my MVP through 12 weeks. Here's what Grantland's Kurt Goldsberry had to say about him.
the Houston Rockets offense leans heavily on threes and shots near the rim. In fact, only 6% of their scoring has come from the mid-range this season. Everyone knows that James Harden, the league's leading scorer, is a perfect fit for this system. After all, 77% of his shots either come close to the hoop or from beyond the arc. But Harden's fit with the Rockets goes much deeper than just the shots he takes. It's also about the shots he creates. When Harden attacks the lane, he morphs into one of the NBA's most unstoppable forces. Yes, we know he can score and draw contact, but did you know that many of his misses actually help Houston? In general, NBA teams reclaim just 39% of their own close-range misses, but the Rockets grab 55% of Harden's close-range misses. That's because as defenses scramble to cut off his attacks, his teammates slide into great rebounding spots. In turn, many of his misses actually set up those teammates for easy putbacks. Houston also loves threes, but since 84% of NBA threes involve an assist, any team that wants to shoot a ton of threes needs somebody to create a lot of threes. And nobody in the NBA is better at that than James Harden, who leads the league in assisted threes by a wide margin. And not only does Harden lead the league in assisted threes, this year he has actually created more threes via the assist than any single shooter has made. When you consider both made threes and assisted threes, he leads all players in total three-point production by a country mile. To date, Harden is the only player in the league that's had a hand in at least 200 threes this year, and nobody else is close. So, while there's no question that the Rockets have one of the league's most unique offenses, there's also no question who that offense's most valuable player is. But is he the MVP of the entire NBA? That remains to be seen. Content of character means that you know, we're judging people off who they are, you know, what type of person they are, you know, their values and, and their beliefs and not off of, you know, the uh, color of their skin. I think about the, the lessons that you can learn from his lifetime and all the amazing things that he did to help change a generation, help change the world. We realize that we wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for Dr. King. We can't let that die. Three years ago, when I had the privilege of interviewing Bill Russell for NBA TV, we discussed the day after Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. That's when the Sixers and Celtics voted on whether they should play game one of the 1968 Eastern Finals. Here's how Russell remembered it. You get the news that, that he's been killed. You're about to play the Sixers in the 68 playoffs. Well, they asked us, do you want to call the game off? And someone pointed out that Twelve or 13,000 people on the streets with emotions off the chart. And if we play the game, they'd give the folks a chance to cool down. And that's the reason we had the game. So you're glad you had the game in retrospect. It seems like it was the right idea. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. We, we did what we thought was right at that time. President of the United States said in 40 years he thought a Negro could be elected president. But when the atmosphere is, is as it is today, it won't happen for 400 years. A few young people here that would like to be president of the United States. If you'd like to, don't give it up. You don't have to give it up. Because in spite of everything, I want you to remember one thing. You can do anything that you want to do. 
if you want to do it bad enough. Thank you very much. That was Bill Russell in 1968, 69. This is Jason Whitlock from ESPN.com. We bring in sexy Vag, <laughs> Ball State's finest. Big sexy. So Big sexy opinions. <laughs> when, we, when we think about Russell's generation, um, you know, it's very socially conscious, cared about basketball. They had different stakes at the time. This current generation, everybody seems to like in the NBA. Everybody talks about these are guys that handle their business the right way. They're so marketable. How do you think we're going to remember this generation? I think I'm going to remember them as a group that put basketball in a better place. I love the way they play the game, and I love that Tim Duncan and LeBron James, to me, are defining this era of basketball, and team play has really become in vogue. So I love what they've done with the game, and then I love the activism that LeBron James has implemented throughout the NBA in terms of taking some social stances. I think this generation is going to be remembered fondly in moving the game in a better direction. Uh, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, kind of <clears throat> taking it a better place than what I think Allen Iverson when he was in control of the NBA, the biggest star in the NBA, I think it's in a better place. And as we discussed, Allen Iverson was the kind of player that was taking cues in particular from somebody like Michael Jordan because the game was different. It was more isolation, more if you're on the weak side, you might as well have some popcorn because if I beat my guy, I'm going to lay the basketball in. But for today's athlete, I appreciate since we're in the information age, guys that are socially and politically conscious. It sets you back when Jordan says, Oh, Republicans, I just want them to buy shoes, too. And so what ends up happening is you have to gain that respect back. I don't want players to just get the newspaper and only pay attention to the sports section. I want them to be engaged in their communities. I want them to understand what's happening beyond the suburbs that they live in, and I appreciate that. It did seem like we went through kind of a me-first era, and it wasn't just off the court, but even on the court, like a lot of people emulating Jordan and kind of one-on-one, get-out-of-my-way type of basketball. And as you said, the team basketball is coming back. I also think it's really interesting, though, that in this day and age, social media, people are so aware now of what the perception is of them. Is that always necessarily a good thing? Maybe not, because I think it, social media can distort who you are as well. People can kind of live in echo chambers and not really see the big picture. But as it relates to these guys, I think social media has put a lot of pressure on them to be a little bit more politically and socially active. I, I think in this way, I have to say social media has been healthy, because maybe if there were no social media, LeBron James and those guys wouldn't have spoken out for Trayvon Martin the way yeah. they did. They kind of set the ball rolling for the I can't breathe and, and what just happened recently. So social there's been some good aspects to it as well. And also, I appreciated players like Russell and Kareem Pryor, Muhammad Ali. You have to pay attention to the fact the sacrifices they made socially were the reason you just see a couple of those guys just get statues. Like, there was a Ted Williams freeway long before there was a Bill Russell statue, and that's because he took a political stand. Same with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So those players did have a price to pay to make the league what it is for today's current crop, and I'm glad they're trying to do what they can to carry the baton. And I guess so. Oh, go ahead. No, I think 
I want to see how this plays out, though, because I think we're right in the middle of understanding these guys and what they're trying to do, because to some degree, they may be trying to do too much in terms of building their individual brands away from basketball. But I would like to see it play out and then look at this in the rearview mirror, because, look, they're going to make some mistakes. I, I think we were talking before the show about the L.A. Clippers and how they handled the Donald Sterling thing. Weak. Wasn't the greatest look. But I'm willing to overlook that because in so many other areas, these NBA players have done the right things with Trayvon Martin, with Eric Garner. So, look, they're going to make some mistakes. we got to let them make mistakes as they try to figure it out. Jim Brown... Bill Russell, the previous, they never had these multi-millions of dollars to deal with and become yeah. these big brands that can employ people. And so it's a dis different decision-making going on with these young guys. And so far, I think they're doing a good job, and I'm willing to withhold judgment to see if they're trying to do too much. And that's one thing I think that I, I think is going to define this generation. It's the generation of brands. Jordan started it. Magic was obviously big with the, one of the first guys to branch out on some business, things like that. These guys now are trying to be brands in their primes and before their primes. And they, and they have all these interests. And Carmelo Anthony took a lot of heat. And I thought it, it, a little bit deservedly Deserve. for the ESPN magazine feature. He's talking about he wants to be remembered for more than basketball. He's, his 11-story business office that he's got in New York City with and no stuff. Business. And it's like... Don't you have to make the finals first before you worry about all this other stuff? I disagree with you guys, and here's why. I figured you would. Because <laughs> when you're making the kind of money that they make, you have a responsibility not only to be a successful basketball player, but to also make sure you're not one of those guys that's broke after four years of playing. And how do you do that? It's successful planning for your future. I agree, but crawl before you walk. The big He's in his office. 10th, 11th year. No, no, no. But the big <laughs> office space with no business in mind. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with starting out very small business-wise, getting into your mid-30s after you're past your prime, and then try to expand your business interest. Again, I think I agree with Bill. Let's win some games. Let's make sure your basketball brand is sound before you start trying to really expand your business brand. And, you know, your generation of players, and you were not on this list because you were actually one of the few who was really smart about keeping his money and not spending on the wrong things. But I think that generation really impacted this one because a lot of people made bad choices. A lot of people gambled away a lot of money to finance the wrong businesses. We got a two-hour documentary called Broke. And these guys, I think, are a much better position to take advantage of their success. It's going to be fascinating. I would call this the LeBron generation, right? It, it is, but I think with a little touch of Timmy Duncan. I mean, particularly Tim and the Spurs' influence on the style of play in the NBA, I think, is unmatched. If we look at what the Atlanta Hawks are doing, Golden State, all these teams now embracing that style of play. So, But off the court, I certainly think LeBron is the leader. Uh, he has every he does so many little things that have impact you know some of the statements he made about eric garner before people put on the i can't breathe statements set the table for that and just the hoodie thing again with trayvon martin it was just a small thing but the impact was so huge so i think on the court tim duncan's had amazing impact on and off the court lebron's had amazing impact. you agree with that Absolutely. And my favorite MLK quote, since we're saluting him today, is faith is taking the first step without seeing the entire staircase. That's what we're expecting out of these athletes that are currently have a platform. Jason Winlock, thank you. We'll be right back.
It's time for the Grantland Mailbag. My pickup game soulmate, David Jacoby, is reading the questions today. What's first? All right, rapid fire, guys. Quick answers. Bill, <laughs> this one's for you. It's from Ryan W. Is it time to seriously consider whether it was a good idea for the Cavs to trade Andrew Wiggins for the world's greatest matador? I didn't think they should totally do it at the time. But, man, Wiggins the last three weeks has emerged as not only the Rick of the Year favorite, but, man, I think he's a franchise guy and a potential leading scorer in the league, Jay. I think you can't overstate the point. You're on the phone with LeBron James, and he says, these are the guys I want to stay, so I'm going to mention them in my letter. Mm. The guys that aren't mentioned in the letter, you got to get rid of them so he can come home. That's a great what if. All right, Jalen, <laughs> next one's for you. It's from Alex G. and Southie. Uh-oh. Where does Josh Smith's 2014-15 Least Valuable Player campaign rank on the list of Pantheon LVP performances? Well, in Detroit, I think we're going to hang up a banner for just that same thing. <laughs> because we're really excited about how the Pistons are playing. I mean, his efficiency was so low with the team, yet he dominated the ball so much. We were a 5-23 team, and I am saying we on purpose. Since the Pistons have won 11 out of their last 14, it's the best thing that could have happened. Oh, the worst LVP of all time, Ron Artest, the year of the Artest Melee, knocked out the Pacers when they were the favorites to win the title. He's still my number one all time. Bill, this is for you and your beard. Thank you. <laughs> At what point will teams start losing games to Phoenix on purpose just to keep OKC out of the eight seed? Well, we're talking about the Western contenders. It's a great game plan. I don't know, would you call it panking? <laughs> Playoff tanking? But to, get, to make sure they don't make it, but I could see San Antonio do that. I could see Golden State do that. I think they should all do it. Get OKC out. I disagree. The West is way too close. You have a bad week in the West, you could go from three to ten. Play your best basketball and see what happens. Next question. Bill, this is for you again. Why haven't we given Damian, Lickler, uh, Damian Lillard the nickname <laughs> The Omen yet? I can't come up with an answer. You like another name. I think he should be called The Omen. Because The Omen is corny. No, it's not. <laughs> you came up with Furious Styles. That's hot. <laughs> but The Omen's corny? Video game dame. Period. Uh, that's not. That when I'm watching him America play, yet. I'm old enough to remember double dribble, shooting the corner threes Last all day. Question. Last question for you, Jalen. This is from Rodney in Michigan. My friends and I are planning on attending the Pistons' January 31st home game against Josh Smith and the Rockets. What's the most effective way to heckle him? Should I dress like, up like a giant brick and call myself the ghost of Josh Smith past? No, you should give him a standing ovation. Because if he was still on the team, the team would be struggling. Now that he's gone, more shots for Brandon, more boards, down low for Big Drummond, and more minutes. The ghost for, of Bricks for Christmas pass. Moves. That's it. We'll see you next time.